Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are two concepts that I hope we can take away tonight from this Maundy Thursday service. Um, Jesus, you would say, maybe gives us two things tonight, two new things, if you will. Um, and the, one of the things he gives us, we read about it in John's Gospel, is a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, love one another. And the second thing that he gives to us on this Monday Thursday is the Lord's Supper, representing the new covenant. And so we have before us then a new commandment and a new covenant. And tonight I want us to focus on the new covenant part of things, the Lord's Supper, this great gift that Jesus has given to us on the night before he died. Because realistically, the new commandment, this, this charge that Jesus has given us to love one another, cannot be done without first realizing the implications of the new covenant, this great reality symbolized in the Lord's Supper. Excuse me. Okay, thank you. So, what is going on? In 1 Corinthians, we have the earliest account of the church participating in the Supper of the Lord, okay? The earliest account, even earlier than the Gospels. Paul is writing this book 25, 30 years after Jesus' death, if not earlier. This is the earliest account of the Lord's Supper. And there's, Corinthians have been celebrating communion for some time, at, at least. And um, Paul is reminding them how to behave during communion. We can't really get into the, all the details of this, but they were essentially doing some things not very well and not appropriately. And so Paul's giving them further instructions. And then he is reminding them exactly what they are participating in. Because he says this, I have passed on to you what I received from the Lord. Okay? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. This meal that you're sharing, I got, Paul is saying, from Jesus himself, from the Lord. And I've passed it on to you, and the Corinthians passed it on to their children, and their children passed it on to their children, and then their children that followed. And then here we stand today in 2014, almost 2,000 years later, and we are celebrating that same meal that is traced all the way back to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is passing on to them what he received from the Lord. The question is, what exactly did he receive? Well, we need to know what Jesus and the disciples were doing. And so Paul writes again in verse, the end of verse 23. He says, what I'm passing on to you um, is what the Lord Jesus did with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. On the night that he was betrayed, Lord Jesus gave this gift, this Lord's Supper, to his disciples. And what, then, were they doing on that fateful night? Well, they were remembering, if you will. They were remembering. They were having a meal in the present so that they could remember some very significant events from the past. And so as they ate the bread and ate the lamb and drank the wine, they, they were physically in the year 30, 33 A.D., but mentally, maybe even spiritually, they were back at the time of the Exodus, at the time of slavery in Egypt. 
And they were remembering their ancestors in chains in Egypt, wondering what had become of the promises of God. Those great promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You will be a great nation with great people in great land so that you may bless the earth and share with the earth the glory of God. But instead, they found themselves in chains, far from the promised land, far from the promises of God, it would seem. But God sent his servant Moses, did he not, to deliver his people from slavery, to go down and and speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And ten times he said this. Nine times Pharaoh said no. And then on that tenth time, that that night, that Passover night, Pharaoh said yes. And so the disciples gathered around Jesus in the upper room, sharing in this last supper. They were remembering this Passover event, this great defining moment of salvation for the nation of Israel. And so they ate, what did they eat? It says in our Exodus account, they ate bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of the slavery in Egypt. They ate unleavened bread because they didn't have time for the bread to rise before they were given the command to leave. And of course, there they ate the lamb, the roasted lamb, the spotless, unblemished lamb, the lamb that was slaughtered, whose blood was drained and then marked on the doorpost of each of their houses so that during that fateful tenth plague, that tenth act of God, the Hebrews would be passed over. The angel of death would not fall upon their homes. Why? Because they had the blood of the lamb marked on the doorpost. So what's happening here? Remember, God, in in this tenth plague, he sent the angel of death on the whole land of Egypt. He was to take the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Why? Why would God do such a thing? Well, it was judgment. He was pouring his judgment out on the sins of Egypt. And the penalty for the judgment of God is death. Do you remember Genesis 2.17? Way back in the beginning, Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the garden. They can eat of any tree in the garden they want, except for one. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die what God said to them. Eat of any tree you like, but not that one. But they did. And the penalty was death. And the penalty for sin continues to be death. The penalty for separation from God continues to be death. The penalty for all of Egypt, and not just all of Egypt, for all of Israel as well. God's judgment was coming. The penalty is death. The death of the firstborn in this case. But remember this, God is no um, respecter of persons when it comes to judgment on sin. The firstborn would die, whether it was Pharaoh's, whether it was the servant's servant's children, whether it was the livestock, the firstborn on that faithful night was going to die. But Israel, the Hebrew nation, the slaves were given a substitute, were they not? That unblemished lamb slaughtered, blood put on their doorposts. They were giving a substitute. And that's the great defining moment of Passover, not 
Not that God arbitrarily passed over Egypt, I mean, passed over Israel. They were sinful too. There was nothing innocent about them. But the simple fact of the matter is they had a substitute, and Egypt did not. And so, instead of taking the firstborn of the Israelites, the substitute was this unblemished lamb that they slaughtered and marked on the doorpost. And Exodus 12, 13 says about this blood, says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you or destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So on that awful night, God passed over the Israelites. He took the firstborns of the Egyptians. And the rest is, well, history. Pharaoh commanded Moses to leave. Get your people out of here. And they, they left, and they, they, they ran. They are going as fast as they could, and Pharaoh changed his mind and sent his army to chase them. And they came up to the Red Sea, and there God parted the Red Sea and delivered his people and sent the waves crashing over Pharaoh's army. They went to Mount Sinai, where God would make a covenant with them, where he would give them the first set of commandments, where Israel would know that they are the people of God, that they are blessed, and that they are called by, the, by following God, by following his commandments to bless others. And so Jesus and his disciples are celebrating all of this wrapped up into the Passover meal. All of this is in the back of their minds. And, and they're back to the very heart of it, the very beginning, that Passover night, that Passover meal, and the grace of God giving them a substitute and passing over their home. And then the law of God, the commandment of God that flows from that grace, that they might do these things and live as a holy nation so that the world may be blessed. That's what they are remembering that night in the upper room with their teacher, with Jesus. Well, this is where the story gets interesting. Jesus is not content to let the Passover keep the same meaning. He's not content remembering what happened way back then at the Exodus. And so we see Paul recording his words in 1 Corinthians, verses 24 and 25. When Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This bread is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you shall drink it in remembrance of me. Did you catch that? The bread, the wine, remembering that great Passover so, so many years ago. Jesus says, that's, that's my body. That's my blood. I'm celebrating with you tonight a new covenant. This meal that we're eating is no longer about the exodus. It's no longer about the Passover. It's no longer about the angel of death or the Red Sea. No, this meal is something bigger, something greater. Those events, thousands of years earlier, those are about something else, something more, something greater. They are about me, Jesus is saying. 
Exodus, the meal, the substitution, it's about me. I'm doing something new. I'm giving you a new deliverance, a new covenant, a new commandment. And right there, the center of all of that, a new lamb. A spotless, unblemished lamb. A new substitute, if you will. The unblemished son. The son of God. The disciples, perhaps they were confused as Jesus was arrested and brutally crucified. But when he rose from the dead three days later, they certainly got it. That his body had been broken. That his blood had been shed. That they were delivered, not from physical slavery, but from sin. That they had a new covenant, not a covenant of law, but a covenant of grace. That they had a new commandment that we love one another as Christ also has loved us. And so we read in Paul that when we celebrate this meal, when we we partake in this meal that we are going to partake in tonight, that there's something new happening. There's something different. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. So that in sharing this Passover meal, we're sharing in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what, then, does this communion meal mean for us? What does the Lord's Supper mean for us? Well, two things. The body and blood, this meal that we take together, is an assurance of our salvation and a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come. It's an assurance of our salvation and a foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come. And secondly, it is an equipping so that we might go out and fulfill the new commandment to love one another as Christ has loved us. That's what is all of this is happening tonight on Monday Thursday as we remember an assurance and an equipping. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. Don't fall asleep. There are more than a few of us in this room who do not feel assured. Who come forward for Eucharist week after week, questioning themselves, questioning their sin, questioning their place before God. And you look at your neighbor and the person sitting next to you and you think they've got it all together and that certainly God has saved them and God has passed over them and given his son for them, but you're not so sure about yourself because there are things in your life that only you know about and only God knows about. And if everybody else knew them, you would be tragically embarrassed. But the fact that God knows it has you questioning. What is that? Do you know the power of the slain Jesus Christ? Because you hear it, friends. Every Sunday, tonight, when you come forward, you will hear it. The bread will be put in your hands and it will be proclaimed over you. This is the body of Christ. It is broken for you. 
you'll be given the wine and will say to you, this is the blood of Christ, the blood of the new covenant. It is shed for you. Not it's shed for Bob or Susie or Joe. No, it's shed for you. Do you realize that? That the Lord has given us such a gift in the Holy Eucharist that, that we don't just, it's not just hearing that Jesus loves you, it's tasting it and touching it and smelling it that the Lord of the universe died on a cross so that you might have new life. And through that, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might live the new commandment. That we might love one another, that you might love those that are unlovable. That you might love those that you have strained relationships with, that you can't talk to, that you can't even bear to think about. Because Christ has died for you. And a new commandment he has given to us. So in a few minutes, we're going to reenact both of these. We're going to have a foot washing where we, um, where we are, are served in the same way that Jesus served us so that we might go out and serve others. And then we're going to receive again his broken body and his shed blood so that he know, we might know that he died for us. Yes, even for us sinners so that we might have new life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.